Listener discretion is advised, as the Ebenistas podcast may contain suggestive and or triggering themes and overall adult content. Oh, f- banter, 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 banter. banter. <laughs> so, um, you said you lived in Minneapolis. So, during what time were you there? Like, was it as crazy as it is now? Y- yeah, so I was actually there at the beginning of the Philando Castile incident. I don't know if you guys remember him, but yeah. it seems so long ago with all of these other ones that have happened, which is crazy, but um, he was uh, murdered in 2016. And um, I was, yeah, I was living in Minneapolis and it was pretty surreal because it was a big deal at the time because his girlfriend live streamed the actual murder. You yeah. know, like he, we saw, you know, I think it was like the first time we had actually seen somebody like that die on, on Facebook, which was kind of crazy to think about. Right. Yeah. And, um, I remember I got a text from a friend of mine. She texted me hashtag, uh, Philando Castillo and hashtag Alton Sterling. And it was like six o'clock in the morning. I was just waking up and I was like, Oh, not again. Like we're just Mike Brown and some of the other ones to, uh, uh Tamir Rice. It's like, has it happened again. Mm-hmm. And so I clicked the Philando and start reading it was like oh this is mini minnesota like this is the twin cities like this is crazy yeah and um once the news got there like all cnn and everybody i just was seeing places i knew and it was just that's what made it really surreal like oh that's had this is happening and uh, i don't know if i shared this with you guys via email or not but that was the impetus for the script i had never written um a screenplay I had no interest in being in media and entertainment. I had a good life. Um, and uh, the murder and then the subsequent acquittal, um, which really was a blow for me because I thought it was way, you know, there was much, there was more than enough evidence to to convict him of manslaughter and negligent homicide. But the jury acquitted. And uh, that's when I, I got to work on the script and said, I got I got something to say about about this and all these accidents and fear for my life and all this stuff that just always seems to happen to black people, you know? So that was, uh, yeah, that was it. And that was that kind of connection to Minnesota. I left in between the murder and the trial. I left. And then I was in Dallas when the, uh, when the verdict came down in July of, uh, of 17. That's crazy. That's really yeah. crazy that you were like right there I guess we don't really like think about it sometimes when things like that happen. Um, it's just kind of like that six degrees of separation kind of thing. Um, you don't really think about it until it's like right there next to you. It just seems so far away sometimes, but I think with it happening so often now, like it's just, it feels different. Things feel different, but just the way things have been going the last, I would say like decade or so. You were like right in the heat of it in Minneapolis. So that gives us a good time, a good time zone of what was going on. Miss um, Doreen, do you want to um, really quick before we, we dive any deeper, you want to uh, start us off? Yeah. <laughs> so we are the Ebenistas. So welcome back for another great episode. Um, we actually have a special guest today. We have Ryan, who is the director of Education of a Negro. So in case you didn't know, I'm Doreen and my co-host with the most is Jabby. Hey guys. <laughs> All right, Ryan, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so 
we um we actually got introduced to Ryan when uh, he reached out to us last year and, um, you know, sent us a link of his film and we watched it and we both really, I don't want to, you know, enjoyed is a difficult word because of the subject matter, but I was really touched by what I saw in the film. And um, we wanted to bring him on the show just to, you know, for everyone to get to know Ryan, hear a little bit more about his movie. Um, and, you know, since we still don't really know you that well, Ryan, we like to play a little game. Sometimes it's different things, but at the beginning of each episode, we'll do something silly. So let's get to know you a little bit better and see out of some of the top best black movies, which ones have you seen and which ones haven't you seen? We're all going to play. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So all right. I'm here. <laughs> first up, we have Antoine Fisher. Yes. I actually saw that when he came out and I just saw it again last month on HBO Max. Nice. Javi? I don't think I did. Oh, no. <laughs> Take a piece of my card, girl. Taking it. Thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> Ryan That's a Denzel Washington movie, so there's really no excuse. I know. There's no excuse And I that. can see it in my head, too. Like, I know that should be on my list. All right. Sorry, yeah. Jess. Oh, I'm sorry. So I have also seen it. I saw it in movie theaters. Um, I want to say... Was that Derek Luke's first film? Yep, it was um, his first yeah. big role. Yeah. Yep. So, and Denzel directed it. A lot of people don't know that. That was Denzel's first directing. Oh, gig. indeed. Indeed. Yeah, so, it's a great, yeah. it's a really good film. It's a really good but, film. Adding it to the list. Yes. Okay, what about, uh, here's a less serious one, Drumline. Have you guys watched Drumline? Yes, yes. I've seen Drumline. Yes. Yes, Jabby? Okay. I was like, you put your head down in shame. I was like, come no, on. No, I've seen it. Not it's a fan. A thing. <laughs> I mean, like, it was, I mean, back then when it came out, I mean, like, I just feel like it's, everyone's seen it, right? I mean, like, it's, I don't, wait, you've never seen it? Of course oh, Okay. <laughs> you gave me the face. <laughs> All right. Here's another random one. Dream Girls. I've not seen that. Mm, I'm really? not a, I do not like musicals. I don't. I do not like musicals. My ex-girlfriend hated me for that. I did. I'll go to the theater. I'll watch a film. I will not watch a musical. I just don't like. I don't like musicals. You, so no, so I you haven't. haven't seen it. So you haven't watched Hamilton, then, have you? No, I would throw up a little bit in my mouth every time someone asked me to <laughs> watch. Didn't it come out on film a little bit? Like I thought they did. They put it on on film. Yeah, I'm mistaken, year. or maybe I'm thinking. Yeah, I just, I mean, I heard it's great. Shout out to the guy who does that. He, he's, you know, it's, he sounds like he's very creative and kind of, you know, re reimagining that. But I just, I don't like breaking out into song. I just, that's not. That makes me angry. I don't want to see it. I want to see a movie, and that's it. So I, I apologize, but I, I don't. And I heard Dreamgirls is really good. I know Jennifer Hudson was in it. I know Eddie was in that, right? Eddie Murphy. Um, Chris Rock, he, wasn't he the, the manager of one of them? Wasn't he the Yeah, I thought Eddie it I was, thought Eddie was in the film. I thought he was I thought it was wasn't it Jamie Foxx? I don't know. Maybe yeah. Oh Jamie Eddie Murphy Fox was in it. Rock. No, Eddie Murphy was in it hundred wow. percent. So was Danny Glover, yeah. Beyonce. Yeah. Um, so I can guess we're never gonna see a musical from Ryan. That'll never happen. <laughs> no, no. I would I would be a, be a no. I am a huge musical fan. Okay. That is uh, <laughs> like, but I'm not offended. I totally get it. 
Um, my husband is not a huge musical person, um, but I kind of make him watch them in like certain ones he'll watch now. Um, Hamilton, we actually have like a whole like short, that short episode we did where we actually talk shit about Hamilton for like, was it like an hour or so? <laughs> we did. We said it was not worth the hype. Um yeah, we definitely trashed Hamilton. And a lot of my friends still have not forgiven me for saying some of the stuff that I said. But listen, I said what I said. It is what it is. <laughs> All right. Okay. What about Barbershop? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We all agree. Wait, okay. We've seen all it. of them. Ooh. Uh, yeah. I mean, they got, you know, they, they, I feel like they could have ended on two. Mm-hmm. We really could have made it on one if you ask me, but I mean, I know how Hollywood, I'm starting to know how Hollywood works, which is take the bag when you can get it. So I'm not, you know, I wasn't mad at them, but the first one was classic for sure. Yeah. yeah, I feel you. Yeah. I like the first one. I haven't watched the most recent one that came out with like Nicki Minaj. I, I haven't, I haven't seen that. It's entertaining. It's nothing to write home about. But I also haven't seen the new coming to America. Like I, I'm just, I love the first one so much and so much of my personality was like based off of some of the stuff in this movie mm-hmm. that like I don't want to ruin it and I feel like they they ruined it. I don't know why. I haven't seen it, but I'm I'm just scared to watch it. You know the bet I was like you. I had the same same angst because the first one was so great. Mm-hmm. And then the best advice I got was just it's it's like um a family reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a 90 minute family reunion and you get to see everybody again. And after watching it and thinking about it in that context, I don't, I wasn't as, you know, quick to try to compare it to the first one. It was just like, oh, it was good to see so many beautiful black people on screen having a good time and good acting, excellent production values. And it was good to see Eddie again in in Arsenio, you know, so, and I thought it was a good story. I thought it was a good story. They didn't try to do too much. You know, they didn't try to do too much. So I think you, I think if you go in with that lens, you'll, you'll like it. But I was like you, I was like, the first one was so good. I don't, what can they do? You know, like, how, yeah, how, how can, can they recapture that? Yeah, you can't. Right, right. I know that they, I read an article that they actually had a script before the, the one that they ended up with where they were going to do, they were going to cast Michael B. Jordan and they were going to do basically the same concept as the first one but he would be the son of Eddie um, and him doing basically the same thing. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad they didn't do that and try and recreate that movie again. Like that, that would have been just the easy way out, you know, lazy and trash, but I won't give it away. Oh, you mean Michael B. Jordan coming to America and trying to come to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They did it. I thought they, I thought going to the moon, was the right, I thought it was the right play. And I think, you know, it was good. So I actually had this conversation with one of my friends like two days ago. And they're like, why is Michael B. Jordan in the new Black Panther? And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be in the new one. And they're like, but he died. So like, how are they going to possibly bring him back? Like, why do they need him in the movie? And then he was saying that, like, there's been so few Black films that weren't that with a Black female lead that didn't have another strong Black male character there. Like, it, they need both for some reason. They never just do one with just a strong Black female lead. They always have to have another 
body but i'm i'm excited to see him i loved him in the first one i'm excited to see how they bring him back i thought he should have remained in the arc of the film so i'm excited about Listen, it but i don't question movies me. like that like how could how could he come back if he died like don't question marvel or like any of that yeah. shit. make it happen like, yeah we'll find a way <laughs> well they got a billion reasons to you know to make it happen so money 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 sure they'll, mm-hmm. they'll do it and I was one of the few that didn't, I actually, I would have been perfectly fine if, if Michael B. Jordan would have taken over as King of Wakanda. Mm. In fact, we, you know, I wanted it to have, I mean, he honestly, to be honest, it's still a sore point because he's technically still the King mm-hmm. because he won fair and square, yeah, he but did. I get it. You got to have a happy ending and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I wasn't, everybody was kind of, interesting story so i got four brothers and sisters one younger brother one younger sister two other sisters we got a text uh chain going uh-huh. and after the film we had seen it in all our different places and after the film everybody we were talking about it and me and my brother were like man we love michael b george's character like we love killmonger like well, we need to see more of him right. and all my sisters are like pew no we don't like him give me t'challa mm-hmm. and i was like that was just an interesting divide mm-hmm. you know like men saw to Killmonger were like, uh, that's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> and I think some of the ladies saw it and were like, no, we want T'Challa and he's a nice guy. So, I don't know, it was interesting. Did you guys, who did you guys identify with out of T'Challa and Killmonger most? Who did you most so, identify with? For me, I, I feel like T'Challa was very prideful in how he dealt with the Killmonger situation. Um, he was like, I'm a king, don't question me, sort of thing. I'm like, but your dad did him dirty, and therefore you did him dirty. Then they abandoned him and orphaned him, Mm -hmm. even though he was technically royalty. Mm -hmm. So his story makes a lot more sense to me. Like, he he fought for where he was. He got the training. He he literally pulled himself up Mm -hmm. and, like, made it to the point where he literally took over, you know? So... I, I what I didn't agree with was the violence in which he took over but you know he did what he had to do so I kind of do agree with Killmonger a little bit and especially out to child was like he didn't even want to hear him out and that was the issue I was just like yeah but you guys are wrong you know that right mm-hmm. like he may not be the best guy in terms of what he's done but it was based off the fact that you orphaned him yeah. you killed his dad and just left him there yeah whether you knew about him or not so anyway that was my whole thing I think now that um I actually never thought about it that way but now that you guys have said that and I'm thinking about it yeah I think I'm with Killmonger I uh yeah I'm there <laughs> I, I I was I uh what did I, I can't remember where I, I wrote this at. I think it's in here in the episode somewhere. Me and Doreen kind of have like different personalities. We're kind of like yin and yang a little bit. And I was like, if I could think of any type of leaders, like black leaders a little bit, the differences, I feel like Doreen would be a little bit more Martin Luther King, but I would be like more like Malcolm X a little bit. <laughs> like by, by any yeah, means necessary, Doreen would be like, peace. Can we have more peace, please? <laughs> And I'd be like, no, nah, we got to do this bloodshed thing right now, kind of thing. But just saying. No? Very I, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. Like, I. I am definitely more of an advocate for peace, but I understand the need for, you know, like violence or when, when to when to stop peace talks yeah. and, and get some shit done. So <laughs> just say it, Doreen. Get these hands. Just say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody can catch these hands. You play with me long enough. Um, but I just 
I don't know. I, but I do prefer, you know, trying to talk things out and having a conversation, getting to the root of problems. I am a big advocate of like communicating your way through it. But like, if, if, if that fails and yeah, I'm going to go the Malcolm, I mean the, what's it called? Oh my God. I can't remember. I'm going to go the other route and choose action. Gotcha. Um, oh, I do have a random one. Okay. Hustle and flow. Oh, yeah. Yes. Is that that's uh Terrence uh Terrence Howard, yeah. yeah. Three six mafia yeah. Grammy yeah, wins. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, yes, yes. I've seen that. Yeah. I it was one of those movies I was like, I don't want to watch a story about like a pimp and his like host. I didn't want to watch, but it was good. It actually it was surprisingly good. <laughs> what do you think, Ryan? I like it. Yeah, I liked it. Um, okay. Yeah, I liked it. It was, I mean, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a classic for me. It's a musical. Terrence Howard's a good actor. It wasn't a classic, but no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't see. I don't think that. I think they. He only had a couple of rap songs in the in the film. Uh-huh. But I, you know, I mean, I guess I could see that. But no, I didn't. I wouldn't have considered that one a musical. But I liked it. It wasn't one of my favorites. I liked it. So. Okay. I mean, it was, it's not something that I, yeah, the soundtrack definitely stayed with me way after the movie, but it's not something I would need to like rewatch again, but it wasn't as horrible as I thought it was going to be. That That's kind of where I was going with that. But hey, that's, I, had I have, okay, so I have one last one and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Okay. This is one that I haven't seen. Creed. Yes. I like Creed. Oh, um, the yeah, Rocky one. I like Creed. Right? I guess. The Okay, yeah. with Michael B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I thought I wasn't going to like it for some reason because I'm not, um, I wasn't huge into the Rocky movies. I really hadn't watched them as a kid or anything. Um, but I actually really did like it. Um, so yeah, all about it. So, um, but yeah, that was just, so now we now we know you a little bit better, Ryan, <laughs> and I also know Jabby a little bit better. Every time we talk about movies, I find out something different about her, like, I got a piece of her black card, so you got to earn that back. Watch those movies. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, fellow parental units. If you're anything like me, I cannot get enough of new clothes for my baby boy, and I find it so hard to find super cute outfits for him. Let's be real. The girls get to have all the fun, but I think I found the answer. Littlest Prince Couture is my newest obsession. Clothing made specifically for the special boy in your life, including daddy. Every month, new designs are available to keep your boys looking stylish and oh so adorable. And if anyone knows me, I don't spend my money on just anything. I want quality and everything I've gotten has been fire. So head to littlestprince.com and at checkout, enter Ebonistas for a special discount on your order. Trust us, Littlest Prince is here to change the game for all of our princes and kings. I don't know. So me and Doreen actually talk about movies and film probably I think on every episode actually. Um, that's just like huge for us. Like we realize that we are probably bigger movie buffs than we think we are. Okay. So I have something to add to that. I was talking to this guy and we were trying to get to know each other. And he was like, you really get excited every time you talk about movies and TV shows. You're like, what did you watch? What's next? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know why? It's because I'm such a busybody. I'm always working. I'm always running errands. I always have so much to do. So, but when I watch a movie or a tv show it allows me to like turn off mm. and just enjoy or just you know like get lost in another world that's not my of my own creation and so it's one of my few times of like peace gotcha. where I actually get to just like chill and just focus on one thing so that that's what it is for me yeah I think so right are you normally I mean so 
typically before you you did this film, were you a big movie fan? I was. I was a. I, I would consider myself a big movie fan, but I didn't see a bunch of movies, if that makes sense. Like I went to the theater. I didn't watch a lot of film, uh, a, lot, a lot of movies at home. I read uh, more than I, you know, than I watched. But once I got into it and decided to make it, I realized like I got to watch films. I didn't go to film school. I don't really know how to do this. So the best education I'm going to get is watching as many films as I, as I can. So I kind of transitioned. But I, before I would have called myself a film lover, but not necessarily in volume, if that makes like I wanted to see the good stuff. Yeah. Stuff that people had already seen and said, you gotta go see the Denzel, Tom Hanks, Viola Davis. Like you gotta go see them in this because they're so good. That's kind of what I wanted to see. Gotcha. Okay. So this I I so that's part of actually leads me into um the first thing I wanted to ask you was so from what I'm understanding, so you had Literally, the Philando Castile thing happens, right? Um, and you feel like, you know, you have this drive inside of you and you're like, I want to say something. And you're doing, what were you doing? I mean, you don't have to tell us necessarily, but my question is like, what were you doing before you decided to jump into the film? Because it seems like you had no interest in, be, you know, making a movie you just kind of like turned your life all of a sudden around and were just like, you know what? I'm just going to make a movie. And that's what you did. Yeah, I was, I was working in business. Like I was working for a small, medium sized business, a couple large kind of, you know, what you would consider typical corporate America uh, businesses. I went to business school, uh, graduated in, in uh, 04, 05, and then went into like the world with my business degree. Like, Hey, let's, you know, I'm wearing a tie. Let's do this thing. So, and I've been doing that spreadsheets, project plans, strategy documents, the whole nine. Um, and uh, that was my life. Like I would have, you know, if you would have asked me before that happened to our, our brother Castillo, I would have been like, I'm not, I have no clue how to make movies. I'm not interested in it. You know, I'll let Hollywood handle that and I'll do it. But um, after that happened, then I realized this is, um, you know, film, media, and entertainment are really nothing but propaganda. Yeah. And strip away the, the pejorative term, right? Like strip away your negative feelings of that word mm-hmm. and just understand what it is. And you realize, yeah, this is just the way of programming people to say, this is how I see things. And this is how I, you know, see this situation. And, and um, you know, once you put it in that, that you know, that uh, lens, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I got something to say. And, you know, this is my love letter to black people. And, you know, this is the best way to say it. And, you know, not some Facebook post or anything like that. But yeah, I had no, I had no, no interest. I was, I was full steam ahead in, uh, in business. And that was going to be, that was going to be my life. So you said that you read a lot of books before this more than like film did maybe like reading all those books give you a good background for writing the screenplay? The screenplay? Yeah, I think it did. I definitely think it did. I think reading helps, um, and I have to be careful what I, what I say next because people will misconstrue. Re- a good writer has a lot of voices. A good screenplay writer has a lot of voices in their head, and by that I don't mean bipolar or anything like that. I mean 
all of the characters in the film you guys saw, mm-hmm. all 17 people who had real speaking lines, mm-hmm. came from my, my head. And I have to make them sound different enough that the audience is none the wiser, that this is the same dude writing all of these lines for this person. And so I think reading helps with that. I think um, I was a good creative writer. My, uh, my creative writer and my English lit professors in college actually tried to get me to go into writing after class, after, uh, after school. And, um, you know, I asked them like, you know, how much does, how much does this make? <laughs> and then I went and asked my business professors, how much they man? And it was like, this is not a question, you know, like I'm going in the business. Um, but I, I think I always had that talent because they, they, you know, they recognized it back when I was 19, 20, 21 years old and encouraged it and kind of nourished it in their, in their classes during the semesters I was with them. So, I think the talent was always there. And then I think, yeah, I think definitely reading um, helped. And then I think just having reading, filing things away, and then just having opinions on things, you know, not always having people think if you have an opinion, you have to share it. That's kind of one of the things I don't necessarily like about mm. social media, yeah. you know, so it's like people kind of just get mouth diarrhea and just shoot off, shoot off, shoot off. And sometimes it's okay to formulate an opinion and sit with mm-hmm. it and then let other things inform the opinion, you know, let other books, other people's opinions, news programs, movies, and then let that opinion grow and kind of germinate and maybe come, come to something, come to something else, you know, yeah. but that's how I did with uh, the education. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I sat with that for, for a good, a good bit of time. So insane I'm just so amazed by that like that you were just like you know what I'm gonna make this and nonetheless like the product that you came out with is really great I mean I watch so many different types of movies I mean I watch all the way to like the c-list movies you know where it looks like you know some kids took like a old school camera handheld camera and they're jumbling it around to, you know, of course, the blockbusters and the quality of the movie and the writing. I mean, I was like, oh, I was like, this is definitely probably this person's like, I don't know, like fifth, sixth movie, you know, definitely this person has done this before. No, <laughs> you're over here like, yeah, I, this is my first one. Of course, of course I came up with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the quality oh, was, was really, really good. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I, I mean, to your point, like I was, and I think I got that from business. I was like, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to have, you know, ASS it. I'm going to really do this right because it's a message and I want the family to listen to it. And I can't just come with any crap because um, we see that a lot, to be honest. You know, we see people who have good intentions, but their execution is flawed. And then people are like, yeah, I don't want to see this. So um, I took a lot of time. I got the best people I could for the money. It was very uh, rigorous interviewing and auditioning process. And uh, I think what helped me is that people would read the script. Uh, and even though we didn't have a lot of money, they would say, yeah, I want to be part of this. This is, this feels like a movie that I want to do. And I think that helped us with the, getting the right cast and crew involved in the project. So how long did it take you to write everything? Uh, June, July, June and July of 2017. And I finished the script 
like the final, final script is we were going into production in May of 18. So that's a little, what, under 11, 10, 11 months, maybe. That's very, um, it yeah. took me, yeah, it took me six months to get the first real draft before I showed anybody. Okay. And uh, part of that was me being new, not really knowing how to format stuff and how to write acts and, you know, ups and downs. So I just had to learn, 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 and table reads and more learning and more table reads. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be careful. I wanted to make sure if I was going to put this out there with the message that it has, that um, it was, you know, it was clear and that it was, it was my best, my best work. So I took, uh, I took all the time I could with it. I love it. I, I completely love it. Like, I just, I'm still like, I I could talk about that all day. Like the fact that you just did this and the quality that you did it at um, is just really impressive. Um, so also when you sent us that link um, to the movie, I noticed that at the bottom you put um, a section for like the themes of the film. So I just wanted to um, kind of go back um, a little bit and just touch on one of those. Um, the biggest one that I noticed was uh, the idea that there was the, the, the institutionalized racism um, and you showed that through having the KKK within the police system. Um, was that something, was that from like a, something that you read that it kind of inspired that? Was that something that you felt? Um, it, like what belief, like did, where did that come from? Yeah, it, it actually, I tried to draw a line between um, the, um, uh, you know, the start of policing here in the, the U.S. was the slave catchers, mm -hmm. right? Before that, they had, uh, you know, you had county sheriffs, but that was more for land sales and like, you know, if somebody was really, really bad, like cross country or cross county, but policing, like local policing started with, with slave catching. And so what I tried to do, I don't know if you guys saw like the, we kind of go with a contemporary narrative and then every few minutes you'd see uh, black and white. Mm -hmm. And then back mm -hmm. to contemporary and black and white. And what I was trying to show, if you notice, the guy had the badge on mm -hmm. in most of those scenes um, because those guys were a cop or either associated with policing. Mm -hmm. And so what I was trying to help educate, you know, the family on is that this isn't new, right? It's very old yep. and it's not going to change until we, we change it, right? Like, and oddly enough, you saw... Right. Remember, this film was written in 17, made in 18, mm -hmm. and part of 19. Um, but we saw with the January 6th uh, terrorist uh, uh, capital riots, I mean, I think they're up to 12 guys now that are active duty policemen that were there. And you think to yourself, how does that work, right? Like a Black person like me, I'm like, how does a guy from Florida or Seattle or wherever decide to drive across the country as a police, he's a police officer where he's from, and then engage in this white supremacist act of trying to take over, kill the vice president, kill senators, and just think it's okay. Like, I'm just gonna go home and put the uniform back on again. And so for me, it was more of like, I know this has been happening and I want to tell my people like, 
we, you know, we got to watch out for this, right? It's, I tell people all the time, when a black, I'll speak for myself, when I get stopped by a cop, the first thing that's going through my mind is, is this guy going to hurt me, right? Most people, when they get stopped by cops, have the luxury of thinking, all right, this guy's going to write me a ticket. He might mouth off. I might mouth off, and that's it. I'm black. I got to think about, is this guy a white supremacist? Is he a proud boy? Is he boogaloo boy? You know what I mean? Like, he can do any and say anything. And because he's got the, um, you know, he's got the badge, and, and I'm a law-abiding citizen, I'm in this precarious position of, you know, I got to protect myself, but I, you know, he's a cop. I got to respect the, you know, I have to respect his authority. And that's just an awkward place for an American citizen to, uh, to have to be. And I just wish people would be more um, sensitive to that when they talk about policing and they talk about white supremacists and like, that's something that we have to deal with. And that's something that doesn't go away. So I actually like that you um, touched on that really quick because um, uh, about like what you think about when you get pulled over. Um, and I just thought this might be an interesting thing for us to all share, actually. So when I get pulled over, um, the big thing that I first notice and the things I think about are where am I? I look around where I've gotten pulled over at to notice if there are enough people around um, I also, um, now that I have a kid with me, I don't get pulled over often <laughs> than I, I actually, I do that on part that that happens for a reason is because I won't go over, um, five miles over the speed limit. And I literally do every single thing correctly to my best ability. So I can reduce my chances of getting pulled over. Um, but I know that when I have this, these are my thoughts. My thoughts are, where am I? Are there one or two police officers? Are they white or black? And even if the person, the officer is black, my thought process is, what kind of officer is he? What kind of black officer is he? Is he going to be an officer that has something to prove? Is he, you know, good day, bad day? Like there's just all these, this anxiety that comes with it that I don't think a lot of people understand that a black person or another person of color goes through um, just to get pulled over right. for a speeding ticket. So I want to kind of piggyback on that. I know when I was in Tallahassee, we would drive up to Atlanta and it to take the highway the whole way would add like two hours to your trip. So you would have to cut through like the middle of nowhere, Georgia. Um, and everyone before I left, I remember every all my friends were like, whatever you do, do not speed through those places. Like they're just looking to ruin your weekend. They're just looking for something. And I never really like thought of it in the way that I do now, where it's like, they are literally waiting. Like they're waiting to do something. It's not like I'm doing something bad, but if the speed limit drops down from 55 to 35 and there's no signage, unbeknownst to me, like that might be a reason for me to get pulled over. So, um, and then I want to touch back on what happened at the, um, on January 6th, right? Mm -hmm. So, the response time between the National Guard and all of the arresting agencies in DC, there's a ton of them. There is no reason that that went on as long as it nope. did and went as far as it did without any sort of reinforcement 
because they were told not to go. They were told not to come. And with all of our, you know, listening agencies and people who are like, literally, that's their whole job is to look for this type of activity. How did thousands of people manage to plan this, get on planes, and no one knew it was coming? It it shows you that it's not just in law enforcement. It's in our, they're in our government. They're in those deciding bodies that can prevent help from coming if need be, because this is what they wanted. This was the agenda that they had. And while a lot of people are trying to fight the good fight, which I think was a theme in the movie at first, it's like, hey, just do this the right way and everything will be okay. Um, it, it shows that you can have evidence, you could have video, you could have all of these things showing exactly what this was, which was a murder. And, it, but because they're so deeply integrated in so many of our judiciary, you know, like systems, it, it, it's not going to happen the way that we think it does. It, we're not going to, we don't even have a fair shot at getting justice for, for murders that are happening because you either have a badge or you have a law degree and doesn't matter what you're affiliated with. Why aren't we checking for these organizational ties? Why aren't we checking their social media before allowing them to do this, to be a lawyer? How long does it take, Jabby? To check all that information? Oh. To become a lawyer, to oh. become a practicing lawyer. Oh, it takes like three years. Honestly. Right. How long does it take to become a cop <laughs> and to be given the right to take someone's <laughs> life um, to do all this stuff? Like, it is. Yeah, laughable. that's a good point. Yeah, so, that's a good yeah. point. It is absolutely it laughable. Just, and it's the, from what I understand, like there's, if we compare to other countries too, um, and how long it takes sometimes certain places for their law enforcement to go through training, um, America's down there, like as far as you know how long it takes and what type of training they get it's it's again it's just laughable it, for such a quote unquote developed country it just but that's but we know we know that though we know that it's developed on 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 racism and it's not based on keeping everyone um you know it's not based on keeping everyone as safe as they say or want us to believe. So there was a scene in the film and it's the officer talking with his wife and she seems to be like a level-headed person, not really super racist, but she's an enabler, mm -hmm. right? Like she, she lets it happen. She knows it's happening and she keeps on closing her eyes to it. Even after he has his rant, um, she's still just like, it's okay. Everything's fine. You know? Um, and she says that, you know, there was a line where he was, she was like, well, we, they have equal rights. And he was like, cause we gave it to them and we could take them back. And I was like, mm -hmm. that was, that was, that was a rough one. I was like, it's, that's how a lot of them feel. You know, the, the people who are racist and are looking to try to take things back to, you know, how they used to be the good old days, which is why I have a really big problem with all of these movies that are still being made of like slavery days, even antebellum, you know, with Janelle Monet. like, why are you guys making, who's asking for this? Who wants to see this time of when <laughs> these things were going on? Like, who is asking like, yes, more please. And it's just like, no, no, no. I don't need you guys remembering the good old days and seeing it on film. Like, I want to get rid of that memory. So you know that all we have to look forward to is something different in the future, not what we had in the past. But anyway. Yeah, and I, I think for that, like for, for those slave movies, I feel like, you know, shout out to Janelle Monet. She's an actor, right? She's not a producer or writer. I feel like for those slave movies, if you're going to do one, you got there's got to be a point at this point, yeah. right? And um, I don't know that I saw. I saw it. I thought she was brilliant. 
but I don't know that I saw the point of yeah. of that. That felt to me like what I call black pain porn. Like, yep. hey, let's use this black pain and let's see if we can make some money. And then you start seeing, like, I'm real big on when I see these movies, I go right to IMDb and I look at the producers because now I know the mechanics of how movies work mm-hmm. where before I didn't. So I go straight to, like, I look at the producers and I see the producers. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I know what's going on here, right? I'm not going to criticize anybody. Everybody has a right. It's legal, perfectly legal. But you kind of see the producers and you realize, all right, and this is black pain porn. Somebody's trying to make some money off of off of black pain. Um which was not the education. Like I I wanted to educate people and help people see like no, this is this is how I see things need to happen. And to that to that scene, I really wrote that scene for the family. Like I wrote that scene for us to realize that the there is there is risk in somebody giving you something. Mm-hmm. Right. There's risk in somebody giving you something because that means that they can take it away. And I tell people every time I speak about this film, it's one of the things I say is you think because it happened and it's over, it can't happen again. And people will say, no, there's no way slavery will come back. And there's no way we can go back to Jim Crow. And, and then I just say, really, like, w- what would we do if tomorrow the Supreme Court or the Congress and the president passed the bill that, um, I don't want to say deep, what's the word, um, retracted the Reconstruction Amendment, so 13, 14, 15 amendments, and the Congress signed it, the president signed it, and the Supreme Court upheld any challenge. What do we do? It's a rhetorical question, yeah. right? But it just helps people, it helps put it in, in, in context how much we're relying on other people mm-hmm. for our safety, for our security, for our freedom. Um, and so when you, when you put it like that, now do I think it would happen anytime soon? No, but I would not have expected a, an attack on the Capitol in 2021. And we saw that. And so that's kind of scary to me because that's saying you know, maybe we're not as close or as far away from, from something like that as we, as we think. But that was amazing. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's the first time in an interview and I've done a dozen of these now where somebody's actually brought that scene up mm-hmm. and that line was intentionally in there for the family to say, you know what, you, there's, there's risk in somebody giving you something and going around bragging about what somebody's giving you yeah. uh, mm-hmm. if you haven't created it or taken it for yourself. So. Yeah. No, I, I, um, piggyback off what Doreen, um, off that scene as well. I found their, their relationship really interesting. Like I, it was like, you kind of never, she was an enabler, but at the same time, it was like, you kind of didn't know what she was thinking a little bit. Um, It was like, almost like she was just trying to get him through this moment of his life. But at the same time, she kind of had reservations about maybe their relationship of being with someone that was just so outwardly racist. Or was she like, I wonder like if he just stayed you know, with those, like she mentioned, oh, you know, you used to tell like a racist joker too and whatever. Was she okay with that? Like, would she have stayed okay with that and just gone about her life with their their marriage? Or would she have eventually been like, you know what, this isn't okay with me. But now that he's so outwardly racist, you know, now is when she's kind of like, uh, I think this is wrong kind of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, and that that was the uh, the interesting kind of situation I put her in as an ally, right, or a supposed ally. It's like, how far am I willing to go, right? Like she said, you know, hey, when you just told an N-word joke, I didn't like it, but I was, you know, I wasn't gonna break up the relationship for it, right? So obviously, it wasn't that big of a deal, um, which is probably more common than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you didn't check it, and it's gotten worse. And now you're at this point, and you're like, "Well, I gotta go to court and now. This is my man, and I'm pregnant now." And so it was just I was really trying to help people see, like, okay, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I love the concept of of allies. I think that's great, but uh, there's always gonna be a limit, yeah. right? To any, I mean, forget you know, take race out of it. I mean, just talk about war, right? There's a limit to even in World War II, there was a limit to our allyship with, with Britain, right? I mean, we didn't enter the war at the beginning, right? Yeah. We're right. like, hey, you guys, this is you guys. You guys fight on your own. And then after Germany started whooping everybody in Europe, we were like, all right. We'll help you. We can't let you, you know, we got to we gotta step in now. Yeah, like it's, it's like that. Like, all right, fine. You guys can take care of it. We'll, we'll step in. So there's a, there's a limit to any allyship. So that was kind of the point the point there to show that in that, in that scene. So, and then you see after court, she's kind of still with them and then they're in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, sure yeah. Maybe some of your listeners don't want to see it. But, you got to watch it. Um, <laughs> you all know the Ebenezer's are fond of their drinks. We work hard and we play hard responsibly, of course. And you know what? Sometimes they just want a glass of wine with dinner at the end of a long day. Yes. And with everything being delivered nowadays, groceries, food, even your makeup. So why not get your wine delivered monthly too? Save yourself a trip and use Wink. Be the boss that you are and have Wink deliver wine personalized just for you right to your doorstep. So visit wink.mivh.net backslash ebonistas and get $20 off your first order. I just got my first delivery and I have to say the selections are fantastic. I was able to narrow down vegan wines and even found a few whites that I enjoyed. Yeah, and they deliver super fast. Within a day or two, I've actually gotten my entire shipment of wine. So you don't have to wait that long to start drinking. It's always happy hour somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was the other part. I was like, we skipped a part. So why don't you tell us what the film is about? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, so a black man and his wife um, lose their, uh, they, the, the black man loses his brother. Kenny loses his brother. Uh, it's under suspicious circumstances. Uh, they think, uh, particularly he thinks, hey, this is going to be, um, you know, all the evidence is here. The DA is on our side. This is going to be one of those cases where we, we win, right? This is, there's too much of video evidence. It's just the cop lied in his interviews. It's just too much here. Um, and then reality smacks him in the face. The white supremacy smacks him in the face. And he learns a bunch of stuff that was happening behind the scenes that he was unaware of. And then he, uh, you know, him and his wife at that point have a, cho- a choice. Now that they have not received justice uh, in the traditional manner, they have to make a decision on whether or not they want to... Um, achieve justice on their own and that kind of sets up the the plot for the you know the third act of the ending of the movie so can i just say um so robert francis is the individual that plays tim brady i don't know where you found him from but he is way too convincing 
Like, he's brilliant. Listen, <laughs> if I see that dude on the street, he's gonna get these hands. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody says that. Yeah, he's brilliant. Let me let me tell you guys a story. Oh my gosh! Uh, and remind me, I'm gonna send you guys the. Uh, I'll send you guys the DVD. Yes. Because it's got the uh, extras. Oh on my it. god, that'd be so cool! Thank you. Behind the scenes, so I'll send you guys the DVD. Um, but let me tell you guys a story. So I'm out in LA. We're doing auditions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the second round. So I've, no, it's the first round. It's the first time I saw Rob in person. I saw him on video. And we're in a for your audience. And when you do an audition, they have audition houses or audition you know places out in LA. You rent one. It's got a blue screen all around, and you can take video. And the room is maybe about four times the size of your average hotel room. Three times the size. You bring the actors in, they go through lines, and you just do that all day. You get to see them in person. So we had seen maybe 20, 25 actors. We took a lunch break. It was me and two other guys, a producer and the casting director. I told them to go to lunch. I was going to stay and try to catch up on some paperwork. Rob is outside in the best of you, and I can see him because our door is open. And I look, and I'm like, I think that's Rob. And I say, hey, Rob. And he turns and says, yeah, hey. I say, hey, come on in, man. And, I, and the other guys are gone. I said, but if you're, you know, we can get ahead because the other guys are gone. we got 30 minutes for lunch. Mm-hmm. I can get you in and get you out of here. Uh, L.A. traffic is hectic. People love to, you know, if I can get done early, I'll get done early. Yeah. So we start the scene. I'm reading. Usually I'm not reading. One of the other guys is reading the opposite part of Rob, but I'm reading for Rob. And it's that scene at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we get to the point of the Obama scene, you know, um, mm-hmm. I say the line, and then Rob stands up and says, because he's up yeah. in the room, it's smash the table. Yeah. And he leans over. the. T- now, this is in the room. He leans, he smacks the table and leans over and is staring at me in my eyes. Now, keep in mind, the version of the script he had, there was no table smack and there was no stand-up. I added that after Rob's audition because he added that in the audition. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't have that piece in the script. Rob put that in there, and it was so great, I wrote it in. Anyways, as we're, he's staring me down, I'm staring at him, and I'm thinking in my head, oh, no, he didn't. Like, I know he's not, not challenging me to a fight in my own. Now, this is a first-time director guy, yeah. right? This is a guy that doesn't know, and he just keeps looking at me. Like, I'm talking 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And then finally, I realized he's waiting for me to say the line. (laughs) (laughs) I felt so stupid. I was like, oh, my goodness. Because that's what actors will do. Well, that's what actors will do that. They're going to wait until the next person says their line. Because that's how they let you know, like, you're off. Yeah. Right? And I learned this in rehearsals and being on set. The actors won't say anything. They're going to stay. In character, and they're going to wait for the person who's supposed to say their line to say it or for the director to yell cut mm-hmm. because somebody's messed up. Yep. So that was what he was doing, and he was just staring at me, and I'm thinking, this guy wants to fight. Like, he's a white supremacist, <laughs> and he found out about this, and he wants to fight. And so I said the line, and then I paused and said, hey, man, I was, I'm sorry. I, you know, I lost the line there. I'm not used to doing the reading. Let's do it again. And he was like, oh, yeah, cool, no problem. <laughs> Let me tell you guys something. Rob Francis is one of the coolest dudes ever, and I was enamored with his ability to turn it on and then turn it off when I said cut. It just turned into a goofball. Like, 
and I say goofball, I mean that with endearment. Like he's just a funny, go out of your way. I mean, look at his TikToks, look at his Instagram. It's just, you would not put that with what you saw in the movie. And that is what talent is, right? That's talent because he read the script, he brought the best out of the character and he couldn't be any different than the character he plays. But it's, it was that kind of stuff in the audition and the screen test that made me like, okay, this guy can, this guy will deliver. Like this guy will definitely deliver. So it's interesting you say that because I get a question often from, from other people is that, are these people really racist? And did you have problems with them saying these words on set? And I'm like, no, they're just reading the words I put, you know, I wrote down. That's what, that's what actors do. But gotcha. he did a, he did a fantastic job. He was, he was phenomenal. I definitely, work with uh work with Rob again awesome. in the future that is so cool I love it I love it actually you, pro- you kind of just answered my next question my the other thing I was thinking because I always think about like um uh s- situations like that or movies like this where you know you have these white characters that are playing like these super racist characters and I'm just like I wonder what that's like for them and they're really not those kinds of people but they have to play that and what that feels like for them. But, but I mean, I imagine that, especially um, for you writing this type of movie, that if you, you would not work with someone, obviously that truly is like, is like that. So um, yeah, I was just thinking about that, like what that would, what would be like. So during the film, um, you had a kind of a, someone who reminded me a lot of Candace Owens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the Patriot something? I can't, I can't, yeah, Patriot factor. I cannot say that legally. Uh, but if that is your opinion, then it's you're my personal to opinion. opinion. Okay. Yes. Um, there are a lot of conservative um, Black people, especially a lot more that have kind of spoken out more publicly, I guess, yeah, a lot more publicly since the person who was in the White House before this. I won't even give him that title or name, but um, it, it is really interesting when you see that because you have so many questions and like, why, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? Blink if you need help. Um, you know, a lot of those responses. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> you know, like ring little bell or something. Like what, 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 what's happening? So how did you get into that mindset to be able to write that, um, what you call it, the Patriot Factor? Yeah, that was... Um interesting behind the scenes here too that was written for a caucasian actress and maggie had uh auditioned for maggie chairless who plays her had auditioned for jj and it didn't quite resonate there but um i brought her in on a lark i was like all right we got another audition spot like hey would you just be interested in the reading and uh similar to rob uh, I think she came in like at the end of day three, at the very end, and I was set on a on a white person, and she crushed it. Mm-hmm. Like she just crushed it, and I was like, okay, this would be a nice twist, like to put this in there, and then put her with the pastor, and just kind of because that that happens, yeah. like we see that. Um, and I happen to think a lot of it is just clout chasing. Like, hey, I know I'll get some attention if I do this, mm-hmm. but if I'm just you know, uh, on the traditional pro-black side of the issue, you know, nobody's going to pay attention because that's a dime a dozen. So I, I actually think a lot of that is, is, is cloud chasing. 
Um, and so I really don't pay pay it too much too much mind um, because I feel like a lot of those conservatives, when the cameras go off, they they get their wake up call, right? Um, so like for instance, you mentioned Candace Owens, she was making a big deal about um, not only CPAC but um, speaking at the Republican National Convention. Mm-hmm. And uh, she got a wake-up call. They were like, no, this is not for you. Like this, <laughs> you keep doing the YouTube and Instagram mm-hmm. stuff. But this is, we're not, we're not giving you the RNC platform. Yeah. And uh, of course, she tried to pretend like, oh, it's no big deal. But yeah, it is a big deal because you asked mm-hmm. and you wanted to do it. <laughs> so don't tell me that it's something you wanted to do. And then when they shoot you down, it's, it's not a big deal. It, it was a big deal. So you got got. But um, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting story because Maggie came in and, and and crushed it, and I thought, nice twist. I think that would be a nice twist for people to see her, see that character as a black character. Yeah. In this in this film. So, I guess, I think so. We we did an episode about this too, about being a token, right? Like a token in a white world or environment, or having a lot of people around you who may have some sort of privilege, so much so that you start to believe that you are the same and that the same rights and privileges should be afforded to you because these are the people that I hang out with. These are my friends. These people are like family. But if you get pulled over, I can promise you the treatment that you're going to get is going to be a lot different than them. Um, And we had talked about on an earlier episode about how that's one of the downsides of being a token is that sometimes you get the same that same feeling that like oh no I'm not one of them mm-hmm. like those are the I'm those are the ghetto black. people <laughs> I'm not that yeah I'm not that kind of black um I'm having lived in Denver I've seen a lot of that mm-hmm. a lot of it where they're just like oh no I'm not I'm not one of you guys I'm not from Aurora I'm safe I'm, you know, <laughs> yes like I'm safe like I'm, yeah of course you can touch my hair um and you see a lot of that and so I feel like the people and again, I don't know their lives. I don't know them, don't want to, not really interested in it. But I feel like a lot of people who are conservative and African-American are just, they've led, a, they've led a different life and they feel like these things can't touch them. That when they are talking about, oh, you know, all you black people are on welfare and all those, when people say those really, really, really condescending stereotypes, they they just automatically remove themselves from that because no, I worked hard. I, I'm not I'm not like that. They're not talking about me. They they are though that's the whole problem they are so because yeah, they, really they are yeah good yeah and I, I think they do get i think i think when the cameras are on they're playing their role and i think when the cameras are off because the truth is we know who candace owens is but most of america doesn't we think they do just because we think we tend to think our bubble is representative but it's not um and so i think a lot of them like i said get their own wake-up call in their normal day-to-day life, whether it's through you know, being stopped or, you know, someone mistaking you for this or for that. And it's difficult because like you said, when people don't know who you are, they don't, you know, they don't, you're, you're just another, you're, you, you, you are considered another black person. To yeah. So you may be putting yourself out as I'm this and I'm bad and I don't agree with that. And like a police officer has no clue when they stop you about any of that. You know what I mean? And they're really not interested in any of that. You are what they make you. And that is how they deal with you. And I don't know. I just always thought that's a sad space to be in. Now, if you're sincere, if you are sincere, then fine. But I think there are very few people who are, black people who are sincere because 
being black in America is part of your identity. You know what I mean? It's part of, and so if you know that this other group is antithetical to that, it's hard to just, for me, logically, it's hard to, for me to see how you erase that, right? It's just hard for me to see how you, you erase that piece. So I don't know, that's my opinion. But, you know, for those who are sincere, great. I don't think a lot of these people are sincere. For, for example, Stacey Dash, Amarosa. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just about to say Amarosa. You, know, you had my list. Okay. Yeah. They, they get, threw they her get, away like trash. Right. They, they throw you her. away and then now it's, I'm sorry. And, and we're like, oh, it's too late. You know? It's <laughs> Coming too late. back you, to you us. You made a big deal of, yeah, you made a big deal of being not here and now you want to come back. It's, you know, it's too late for that. So. Yeah. But it's, it's, that's sad. You know, I do agree that that piece is sad. That's crazy. It's uh, sorry. <laughs> the anger is like rising inside of me. <laughs> like there was another thing that you talked about too, that like about the church and how they respond to some of these racial incidents. I have never seen anyone discuss that in a film in that way, but I wholeheartedly agree. Um, especially about about the part about them being afraid and then passing on that fear as a form of like peace talks, but it's just be it's just fear. Like I like that. That was deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the uh, that was the scene in the bathroom, and um, mm-hmm. that was a uh, yeah. That was a. Uh, I remember that day because that was a she Alyssa Murray who plays JJ. That was a uh, an eight minute monologue. And she captivated the way a movie set works is, um, you know, we had only 20 people on our set and our crew. Usually a, a crew is going to be, you know, could be up to 60, 70 people, but they have these monitors so that you can see what's going on, especially in a tight space, like a bathroom where you can only have three or four people in there. And um, she captivated everyone on set with that performance, that in the funeral scene and the first act, she just captivated everybody with her, with her acting. And um, for her to be able to do that, I mean, she's the only one that talks for eight minutes. And when we first screened it in Dallas, this is the first place we screened it. There about, uh, I think 100, 102 people came out, which was a decent crowd for us for no name film. And you could hear a pin drop throughout the whole thing. And I was like, yes, like it, that's what I wanted for people to be just be listening like damn she's really you know and then the little twist at the end where you find out you know yeah. oh wait you know it's it's more you know it's not just a talk now so um she yeah she crushed it but I, I put that piece in there because that was part of part of it those i don't know if you guys are familiar with the 16th street baptist yeah. uh church bombing but that happened in birmingham yeah. and those were four little babies i mean those are little yeah. You know, forget that it shouldn't have been happened to adults, period. But those were our little babies. And for, um, for you know, for the clergy to, to kind of punk out like they did, especially when they knew who the dudes were. Yeah. You know, I don't like to say if I was there because I wasn't. And I think that's unfair to people, right? I can say now if harm came to my family, <clears throat> I don't care about the justice system and you know I, that's not we're not going to do that right mm-hmm. we're not going to do that at some point you had to teach people how to treat you 
and how to respect you. And if that means I got to put my life on the line or I got to, you know, do some time in prison to make a point because you can't just keep letting people do violence against you and then saying, let's pray about it. That's really you just being scared because we don't do that with the Crips and the Bloods and the Vice. You know what I mean? We don't do that when it's, when it's that time. So why when it's the other people now we're saying, let's pray and you're scared. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. you're scared and you don't want to do anything and you want to use, you know, that's what she says. You're using Jesus. You're hiding behind Jesus. Yeah. And that's just fear. Yeah. It's a, it's a, so. it's a, it's an easy way out for a lot of people in a lot of situations. And I've, I've um, noticed that throughout my life. Um, my, my first experience with that was um, an old coworker and she lived very um, obviously she lived with, a spouse that was probably abusive um and but very um controlling of her um, financially um and in other ways as well and you know we were really concerned about her and we'd ask you know what are you going to do you know do you need help you know do you want to get you know help from uh we could take you to you know whatever types of assistance that you know we can get you and she would always lean on, I'll just pray on it. And, you know, we were looking at her, we we're like, honey, prayer is not going to help your kids. Prayer is not going to help get yeah. you out of this situation. Like you got to make moves because that's not going to help. And it is, it, it really is, like you said, like it is fear. Um, and people just really, I, I don't know, um, Ryan, personally, if you're a religious person, um, but that's kind of my fear sometimes with people who lean on religion a lot um, is like kind of that notion is that if I lean on it, I can use it as a crutch so that I don't have to do other things in life or I don't have to face other things in life kind of thing. Um, in situations like this, I mean, like I, I can't imagine a family member going through you know, what these little girls, you, what this, these families went through with their girls and then just saying, I'll pray on it, you know, or I fig- forgive. I mean, there was a scene in there about that too. Um, like, where does that come from? You know, like this whole forgiving, why do black people lean on forgiveness? And I don't know. That, that. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the funeral scene. That was another one I wanted to put in there, and just make a uh, make a uh, a point about you know where that and that kind of dovetails when you when you fast forward to the bathroom scene mm-hmm. where she kind of finishes you know finishes the whole thing off about um, you know just saying that we, we're going to forgive and the pastor's trying to get me to forgive and he's like well I don't I don't feel like forgiving. Yeah. First, one, two, he hasn't apologized. So, you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. what, are, what are we doing? Just forgiven before apology? And he brings up Dylan Roof. And again, I don't, I don't uh, begrudge anybody what they do to get through things. That was a terrible ordeal uh, for me personally to have to see that. So I can't imagine how it was for the actual families and the parishioners of the church. But the fact that he stood up in court and said, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not sorry. Well, you know, okay, then you know, F you. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't feel 
a calling from God. I don't feel out of out of my space with God if I don't forgive you, if you're being that intractable. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like you're showing no remorse. I don't feel like I have to, you know, so, and I would not be subject to a pastor that's like, well, you got to do this to move on. No, I can move on and still hold a grudge. It's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm per- perfectly, I'm speaking for myself now. I'm perfectly fine doing that. And I think too many of our people are just, on this, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, you know, when you look around, you don't see anybody else doing it. And then you're like, well, why are we the only ones doing this? Yeah. What's, what's, what's the genesis? And that was kind of the impetus for that whole scene that I wanted to get in there. Uh, and I had struggled during the writing process. Like, how do I get this in? Where can I, where can I get this forgiveness thing, this forgiveness thing in? And then, you know, as the script kind of took shape and I was like, oh, this is what act one looks like. We'll end it here. I'm like, okay, this will be a good, you know, put them in a funeral scene. I wanted to go out to uh, to um, an actual um, graveyard, yeah. but we're low budget. So I was like, all right, we just got to <laughs> bring them back, put them in all black. People will get that they just came back from the funeral, yeah. and then we can go from there. So, so yeah. do, do you remember that. the murder of Botham Jean in Texas? When the yeah, yeah, I was down there when that happened. Yeah, yeah, that was one of those moments where I think his brother had released a statement saying that he forgave her and everything. And everybody was like, "What? What are you forgiving her for?" Like, I, and I remember every a lot of people being up in arms with his family about saying that they forgave her during the trial before she'd even been found guilty or whatever. They're just like, "Why are we so quick to forgive someone? She took an innocent life because she was drunk and went into the wrong apartment." Would would they would anyone else have forgiven him if the if the situation were reversed? No, you know. Yeah. So, I, I, I it is it is a common thread that you see a lot. It's like I forgive, and some people say I forgive for me, not for them, because I have to let it go. But like yeah. you said, I can forgive yeah. and still remember exactly how angry I am and still yeah. hold on to that. But sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, I'm not. I, I'm I'm very big on that. Like I I remember things and I don't forgive. But um, I was thinking about the, you're talking about like remorse too. So these people that do these actions and do, I mean, they're not even, some of the, sometimes they uh, quote unquote apologize. And I mean, are these really apologies? I mean, you have, I'm not even saying his name, but you have another baby, but Trayvon Martin and you got dude, you know, literally selling you know, his signature on Skittle packets. Right, and, right, yeah, yeah. you know, um, auctioning off, I think, the gun or something like that. And, yep. you know, this is, it's it makes me oh, so... Oh, wait, and going on to to commit further acts of violence. But oh, yeah. continue. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just free to do these things. And just showing absolutely just, and telling, basically just telling the world that he does not care that he killed this child. And I mean, it, it, that helplessness that our legal system let that happen is just, I don't think, there, I mean, there's just no words for that. And that this is just continuously happening. And I mean, it's been, in, has been happening for so long um, as you showed in the, you know, during the, in the movie. Um, and I think you just did an excellent job um, I realized when I was looking at the, without giving away too much, but the scenes that you chose to focus on, the history, um, I, after a while, the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, 
I'm an idiot. These are all connected to policemen. <laughs> like it took me a second. Yeah, yeah. And then I went back and I double checked and I actually did a little bit more research actually on each one. And on each one, they actually had um, details of policemen um, either being directly involved um, with these with these situations or the government themselves um, either ignoring the situation or like with the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, um, I saw that um, J. Edgar Hoover actually stopped the investigation at one point, even though that there was um, enough evidence against the people who had actually done it. Um, I mean, it's just this repeated thing where the justice system is, it's just known it's not made for us. It's not here to give us justice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really not. And I don't think we need to hide from, you know, saying like, this wasn't uh, built for us. And that's why I'm so big on, you know, like, we need to figure out not what the next year looks like, what the next 100 years look like, right? And if we want our grandchildren and great-grandchildren in this same morass, right, then we can do nothing, right? But... um, we can get together and do something. Like I said in the film, you should not be able to be associated with a white supremacist group and be a police officer. That, like that, you shouldn't be able to be a judge. You shouldn't be able to be a district attorney. These are things that we, these are things that come down to votes mm-hmm. and who's in charge. And these are things that we can control. We just saw mm-hmm. in swing state after swing state, when we come out to vote, we change. Mm-hmm. We change things, right? Uh, we did it in North Carolina twice with Obama. We just did it in Georgia. When we actually come out to vote, yep. we change things. So there, there are things we can do now to say, no, we're not going to, you know, no more being a, a white supremacist. Associate, if we find you even, if there was an email that came to your inbox, mm-hmm. because that's how they do us, right? Yeah. This, this, that's how gang injunctions work. That's how the, the crime bill works. If you were just a friend of somebody, and you had nothing to do with gangs, but that was just your friend from seventh grade, and now he's in ninth grade and he's banging, mm-hmm. and they could associate you with him as a friend. That was what they could call an injunction. So they they make it work when they want to make it exactly. work. But then, you know, we have to figure out how to make it work for us. And I, I just say, I don't think there's anyone in America who would say it's okay to be a white supremacist judge or a police officer or anything like that. That That should be, that definitely should be legal. Uh, definitely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, so I have to also, I wanted to point out really quick, um, kind of switch gears really quick. Um, the, the, the clips that you did with the brothers as little kids, you were killing me, absolutely killing me. Like <laughs> they were so cute and you did such a good job. I know that like, you know, that was a, a great way to show their bond and, you know, it just made me think back to like, um, I have a cousin that I grew up with and just like um, how we used to play and all that. And it was just so adorable. Like, I don't know where those little kids came from, but <laughs> they're adorable. You did so good with that. Those were my nephews, Aww. actually. Oh my 
Yeah, so I kind of lucked out in that they looked alike and it kind of worked out. My my sister and her husband were willing to let them be in the uh, be in the film, and so we sent out a camera crew and and because uh, I was still struggling with like, all right, I got we only have five minutes with the actual real brother in the film, mm-hmm. and the bond has to be strong enough that the audience believes that. Kenny would do what he does, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if there's no, this is one of those writing things I learned, right? Like if you're going to make somebody the bad guy or somebody's going to die, the audience has to feel like, oh, there's a reason for that. Yeah. And so I felt like, all right, we got to have something. Like, okay, let's get some tableaus in there. We'll just make them, let them do brotherly stuff. And then we'll put that in there and people will see that these guys have always been close. Yeah. And that's what's tearing him up. You know, that's what's, driving him to this at the uh, at the end of the film so and they did a good job i like they they keep asking me about being in my next movie and if i'm gonna do a movie and i think my sister told me before the film came out they were telling their friends at school that they were in a movie mm-hmm. and she said they keep getting in trouble because their friends don't believe them because they don't see the tra- <laughs> don't see the trailer because <laughs> the trailer had come out i said I said, tell them, tell them to hold on. We got to, you know, there's a way we got to do this. <laughs> right. And they could, you know, but they kid, I mean, they were eight and nine and they, you know, they want to tell their friends, and, you know, they didn't quite get it. So. That's so, so are you going to make another film? Yeah, well, so here's the thing, right? Um, I said to myself after I finished this one, I didn't make this one to make any money, Right. And this was my love letter to, to to the family, and I think it served its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. and if I were to do it again, I would want to get like I would want to step up in production values and you know acting talent and all those things. So we are working on. I can't say much about it right now, um, but we have engaged some you know some names that you would know. Mm-hmm. Now it's a whole dance. That's the thing I don't like about film. That's different than traditional business it's a whole dance and agents and when and do they like it and okay what can we do and then we, we're, you know we're working with some producers to try to raise money um but yes if i can raise we're looking to do a half a million to 750 which actually is not that much and yeah. movie but for you know for us that's a you know i mean you might as well be saying 10 million dollars mm-hmm. um but so that's kind of what i want to do like i don't want to do um I just I don't want to do the same thing and stay static. Like I feel like I am a good writer. Um, I heard enough from my actors that they liked the way I directed things on set. It was very natural, very easy feel. So I feel like I can do it. But the next step is to get some actors in there where people know their names and people will see the films and mm-hmm. you know can get something on Netflix or on Hulu or you know something like that and maybe take a step up so we're working now a good thing for me is i've done business i know how to do business so it's not this is not you know this isn't the scary part most directors don't know they come from film school mm-hmm. and they don't know anything about raising money or return or anything like that and i do which i think is what's given us a little bit of an early advantage with some of the producers and financiers we're talking to because they're they're like oh this guy has a background in, in this this thing because the hard truth for, for people is that it is a business mm-hmm. um it is and if you just if you can't make somebody money you're just not going to be interested in and in, investing exactly and it's a long lead cycle because 
excuse me, you put out, you spend the money up front, and then you may not see anything for 18, that film won't come out for 18, 20 months. And that's, um, you know, if you're doing it in a hurry. So, yeah. Look at money you. talks. Getting it. I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> that was, I was like, um, so it's Hars, um, how do you, Harsco Films. Is that how you say it? Hartsco? Yep, that's it. Okay. Is, that's it. is yeah. that you? Is, um, or is that a, a team that you have? Right now it's me and my bro. Okay. Okay. So that's, yeah. okay. This is what I, I didn't know if you were like, you joined up with another team and like, you know, put the movie under their umbrella for that was your, all yours. Cause I was like, I need more films. I need more, um, message, <laughs> message. I love, you know, these films with like, um, I, I like direct messages as well. I like all kinds of films. Like I'm all over the place. Um, but I really have, um, a special place for like these big message type films and kind of, I just really like the way that you gave this direct message um, and said what we what needed to be said. You know what I mean? Um, especially with yeah. um, what was and I, I apologize the uh, Patriot <laughs> report like that was Patriot Factor. The Patriot Factor, yeah. yeah, that one. I mean, I'm so glad you did it. You did it that way. You ended up with um, doing it this way. Um, because I think if you'd used a, a white, um, actor or actress, um, you could have fallen into, um, the same thing that we've seen before on other films. Um, but this with, by giving it, you know, doing it with a black actress, I mean, you really kind of give something else for people to, the audience to chew on a little bit, um, and really take a deeper look into, the real life, you know, black individuals who are like that, but there's just so much to think about with this film. Um, and, and I just, if I could, I'd throw cash at you. <laughs> and like uh, Make it rain. <laughs> basically. Thank you. Thank you. I tell people all the time that was really, um, obviously the films out there playing now. Uh, so if you're listening to this, please, you know, go to educationwithnegro.com and, and get it. But um, hearing that is really like all I, you know, all I needed from from this film. It's just that people who saw it liked it, they got the message, um, and they felt like it was it was something new. I did not want to do a happy ending type of mm-hmm. thing because things are not happy for us right now as a as a group. It wouldn't have been realistic. So, yeah, and I just don't like. And again, I get that you know Hollywood you know has to tickets but I, I've always felt like even with some of my favorite movies I was like I'm I'm adult enough for you to end that you know you don't it's not a cartoon right I mean it's not the Lion King or something like that. like I'm okay with a bad ending for the hero listen uh, if it makes a point so I grew up in that's kind of what died. I that's kind of what I went for and it's like listen I grew up yeah. Mufasa died okay <laughs> I was really young and I handled it maybe not the greatest when I was that young but I I'm fine I can deal with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all could, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were two things I went for. Is One, we, we would, males, that is, when we get into our feelings and ignore our women 
Sometimes we get ourselves in the trouble. Ooh, say it again. Right? Say it again for the brothers so they, in the back. They were, yeah, they were in the clear. She was the lawyer. She knew how to make all of it right, mm-hmm. and it worked. And then she's like, "We'll see you tomorrow at the." And he's like, "No, I want to do this now." Mm. She's like, "Babe, just let." He's like, "Nope, my ego is telling me that he just challenged me, me, and I want to." And then it turns out how it turns out, you know. Yeah. And so that was kind of a sub liminal if you will yeah the um over the top message was sacrifice is that you're gonna have to sacrifice right yeah that you can't there's no two ways around it if you think it's just gonna happen because you want it to happen and because someone wrote some letters on a page and signed it like you some point you are gonna have to, to sacrifice and you're gonna have to be okay with that and that's no different than any other group who's ever ascended to the heights that they're at now is that they just they their their guys sacrificed hundreds of years ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they're just living off the fruit of that. And we gotta learn that you know, you know what? If you want to change things, that you're gonna have to sacrifice. And so that's why I put the kid in the scene at the uh, at the end. He sacrificed, and that's the point. So, so really quick. Um... I actually have a question regarding the imaging that you have, the, the poster for the movie. Um, it definitely I, gives me um, Watchmen vibes, but go ahead. Yeah, that. So I'm wondering why. So I've seen this done a couple times um, Some with a band that I listen to and actually that um, they're really heavy political um, kind of thing. But why did you guys choose that particular type of headpiece? to cover the face of the officer in the cut screens. Oh, you're talking about the bad, yeah. the, the kind of scary, yeah. Um, I, so I didn't want to do a traditional KKK hood. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was weak, right? Mm-hmm. But I did want to do something that would, that evoked a little bit of fear and kind of went away from the, the you know, it was enough of a, a dichotomy, gotcha. you know what I mean? Like it was like, oh, this, so different and so yeah. that was kind of the purpose for uh yeah i wanted people to kind of be scared like a little bit not horrified but just like this is kind of terrifying yeah. you know this guy in this bag is kind of terrifying so like this is a, a it was definitely a warning <laughs> and it was also cool because it was like the a faceless person so i mean i you get it like it's it's it, he's representative of you know all of the um the force of the police force yeah. wrongdoings of, of what they've done um i uh yeah those those kind of ways were uh quite intense. it actually took me a little while um like i said the second time I, I went around um i actually um i had to research actually a couple of the other ones because i got some of them um right away and then a couple of the other ones i had to um actually go back and double check which ones they were and what the stories were. So the um, the Viola, I can't say her last name, but the one like- Louiso. Yes. Yeah, Viola Louiso. So that one reminded me of, um, you watched um, Lovecraft, right? I haven't seen it yet. What? I haven't seen it. I've got to watch yes. it. I know, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yes. Wow. I got to watch it. I think I might start watching that today now All right. that you bring it up. I've been saying I'm going to watch it. So. so It's a good watch. 
when you watch it, there's actually okay. an, an episode in there um, where the it kind of feels, it reminded me, her story kind of reminded me her story and then also the story about the boys. Um, I believe it was Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner. Um, mm-hmm. Their story, it, there's a scene where they are leaving a town and they're trying, they were trying to get out of a sundown town. And that scene like reminds me of these things that actually happened of them just driving. Oh, wait, Goodman, Cheney, and Swerner are in Lovecraft? No, but like the scene of what is happening. Oh, is oh a, okay. Got it, got it, got there's it. There's a scene of them trying to get out of a sundown like county. There's this, that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that okay. intensity got sort it. of of what happened. But. Sorry, Emma Till is in is in Lovecraft Country. He's in there. Is I can't remember. Oh, you don't. Okay. Emma Till was one of the kids that were doing the seance, and then he's like, "I'm about to go down south and visit my family." And then, yeah, uh, he, he's actually wait. In what he was doing a seance? Yeah, it's a whole. It's a Lovecraft whole is thing. wild, son. Listen, what? Yeah, you gotta watch it. It it is sci-fi mixed with I racial. You were say like, it's a whole lot, but it's great. Okay, I gotta check it. This is Jordan Peele, right? Mm-hmm. No, Wait, no, not this one. No, no. Nope. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought Lovecraft was Jordan Peele. No, this it's one is Journey Smola and oh, gosh, there's some other guys in there, but I don't know their names. It's pretty crazy. And then I last night I just watched the first episode of um, Amazon's original Them. Um, it's got the the girl, the daughter that was in Us, with that Jordan Peele did, so she's in Us and them. But them is a, is it good? I heard some I heard some so so reviews. Um, the first I only, is it I good? only did the first episode, and I'm intrigued. Um, okay, to see what okay. will happen. Um, it started off pretty intense, so um, I mean it it, it jumps, you know from. Um, Lovecraft Country. It's like a few years after, right? So I think it's more of like the 60s, right? Early 60s, I think. Wait, what are you talking about? The show Them. It's on Amazon. It's another like kind of like black reality is horror type show. Is it like sci-fi like Lovecraft Country? I don't know. Oh, you haven't watched it. Okay. I only watched the first episode, but it's something like it's also psychological. Like her realities is like bending a little bit. Okay, I'll tell check it out. Yeah. So basically, like she they move into an all white neighborhood. Um, they actually moved to Compton, and this is back when Compton was all white, and they're the first black um, black family there. And yeah, you know, it would be a good movie to show how Atlanta went from being the country of Georgia to what it is now. Mm-hmm. I I'd be curious to see how that happened, how that switch happened. I don't know. That'd be really cool. Let's do yeah. it. I don't know, Ryan. Are you got it in you? You got a movie? <laughs> 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 oh, it takes a long time to con these things take a long time to like to get a good like Lovecraft country. I'm guessing that was, you know, that's been in the works for good writing takes time, <laughs> you know. It takes a lot of time. Listen. But no, I'd be definitely interested in I like um um, I actually have, I shouldn't say this, but, Ooh. um, 
Okay, don't say it. Don't people, say it. When we have sessions, say it. <laughs> people steal all the time. People's like steal. That's a big thing in Hollywood. People stealing oh, ideas. Yeah. So. Well, you don't have to say it. Don't worry. Yeah. You can you can tell us off. You want me to say it? Or no, you no, don't you don't have to, to tell it. us. You can oh, tell I'll us. Tell you off you can tell us off. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I'll tell you off air. Um, I'll so I'll say this, uh, Ryan. Thank you for being on the show. But I, I probably shouldn't say this, but don't take Ooh. this personally. It's nothing to do with you. I, you sent us this link like over a year ago. I just watched the film mm-hmm. this morning because I typically stay away from any films that invoke that type of pain that type of trauma because of just how sad it makes me feel and how that that and I I already carry around pain of being a black Haitian woman and all these other things I carry that around with me every single day and so it's like I I tend to avoid things that kind of add on to it because it just makes me even more angry especially after what happened in Georgia with the voting rights and everything else and you know I've just I've, I've been staying away from that kind of stuff but I watched it and I I was surprised pleasantly surprised at at how drawn in I got you know like I was like wait what okay and the beginning when they're having the conversations I was just like look at you Uncle Tom over here making excuses (laughs) you know like I was I was really and then but as the film progressed I was like this is different like I didn't see anything coming I had no clue where it was going which is which is a problem for me with a lot of movies I'm just like oh this is boring I see where it's going and that did not happen once in your film and so thank you for creating something like this thank you for giving it a voice and to naming those names because that's so important is to call out the names of these people who have lost their lives because and and nothing's happened to them legally like we need to keep saying it we need to keep talking about it so that we know what we're fighting and why we're fighting so that's it thank you thank you for that thank you all the uh for having me on this this pod i've been uh very excited um and uh, glad that you guys took the time to you know review that trigger email and and uh and watch the film and doesn't matter how long it took it matters that you watched it and you you had me on so that's all I care about. And I appreciate you all taking the time to do that. Oh, of course. Of course. Thank you for reaching out to us. So guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode with the Ebenistas. Um, Ryan, uh, if you want to say goodbye to the people or hook them up with any information on the movie. Yeah. 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 If you want to see the film, uh, thank one, thank you for listening. If you want to see the film, please go to the education of a Negro dot com the education of a negro dot com and uh you can find it on apple tv youtube um amazon a few other channels or you can buy the dvd for 5.99 dvd you get some behind the scenes commentary actor interviews a bunch of good stuff about how the uh how the film came together plus the soundtrack awesome yes definitely do that guys so um We'll definitely have some um, some information for you guys up on the website about the film, um, share some clips for you guys as well. So please, as Ryan says, please check out the film. It's a great film. Um, we're totally looking forward to what Ryan is doing next. Um, I demand many movies. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how many he has in him, but I demand but if um, this is what they're going to be like keep on making it yes yes please yes thank you no musicals absolutely no <laughs> musicals 
Um, but um, you guys know the deal. Get get at us on the socials. We are on Instagram, the underscore Ebenistas. Um, our Patreon is up and running. We have some exclusive uh, sessions on there short episodes. Um, you can get some unedited versions of our episodes. You can hear all the weird stuff that we say that you don't get to hear on the uh, Spotify, Stitcher, all those fun places that we're on. But um, otherwise, thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Oh, f- the Ebenezer Podcast was created, written, recorded, and produced by Jabby and Doreen. Theme music by Chris Black of Truck Music Productions. 